0: This is the Definitely Uncertain Podcast, brought to you by Goldrock Capital. Each week, we look at how high net worth families can improve their lives, decisions, and investments in a deeply uncertain world. We always aim to provide practical information, even if we can't offer specific investment advice. Welcome to the Goldrock Podcast, Definitely Uncertain. Today, I am delighted to have with us uh, Mayan Atan. Mayan Atan is a a good friend and a friend of the firm and also is the uh, director of uh, Jewish Funders Network in Israel, the JFN, which really uh, was way ahead of the game trying to figure out how to add value to Israeli philanthropy. Um, uh, We'll talk a little bit about how JFN got started and and where it came from, but uh, basically, they're doing excellent work with uh, many, many philanthropists here in Israel. And today we're going to talk about uh, philanthropy, how that's working in Israel, and also a new uh, a- initiative, which uh, uh, Maya has uh, basically launched to make giving in Israel uh, a little bit more advanced, a little bit more sophisticated. And um, hopefully we'll be able to bring something of that uh, uh, content and value to uh, to everybody out there, all the listeners. So first of all, welcome, Maya. Uh, welcome, Maya. And uh, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for
0: having me. Our great pleasure. So let's get uh, let's get straight into it. Um, maybe first of all, um, you could tell us a little bit about uh, what JFN does, how long it's been doing it, and sort of what what need it uh, came to fulfill in Israel. Why why we need JFN?
1: Absolutely. Um, so Jewish Funders Network um, is a, an umbrella organization. Uh, membership organizations for private philanthropists and private foundations, private family foundations, uh, which operates uh, across, the, actually across the globe, 11 countries, 2,500 members. We have an office in New York, an office in LA, and an office in Israel. Um, basically, JFM does three things. It allows philanthropists to learn about their areas of giving to get help and understanding on what they are doing and how they're going to do it. Um, It also an opportunity for funders to go through some private and personal processes with their families, intergenerational. um, So a variety of offering on a personal level. On a community level, it allows funders to interact, to network, to get to know other funders who work in the same fields that they are working in, to get information from other funders and really sort of feel that they're not alone. Um, I think it's important, it's it's especially important in Israel. Um, and the third is that we are really looking at the ecosystem in Israel and the growth of the philosophy, um, both in Israel and in the Jewish world overall, and are trying to constantly um, improve and progress in the way that philanthropy is trying to be strategic and impactful. That's so great. This is um, our role um, globally and in Israel.
0: And and obviously we are we're both familiar with the expectation over the last number of years from the diaspora and from the United States in particular, where donors are saying, okay, we've been uh supporting thousands of different uh, causes and important things that are happening in Israel, Um, when are we going to have partnership with uh, Israeli donors? And I'm sure part of what uh, the JFN is able to do, partly because you do bridge uh, the gap between the donor community in in, in North America and here, is to be able to achieve that. Maybe talk a little bit, uh, share with us how philanthropy over the last number of years has changed in Israel? And and is it is it sort of maturing? Is it is it a, a story that we need to hear more about? Or or really we're still on the process to you know growing up in terms of our, our own philanthropy here in Israel?
1: So um great question because when we started working in Israel, when JFN opened its office in Israel, our goal was to facilitate partnerships. Our goal was to change the, the, the handshake from, from asking to let's let's work together. Um, and in order to do that, we had to make sure that we have enough Israelis around the table when we make decisions and when, when money is being allocated around the different areas of giving in Israel. And so the American, not only American, British, Australian, and other funders, Canadian will feel that they have a, tr- a real partner. They have someone to talk to have someone on the ground, eyes on the ground as we call it, and they can really work together to achieve some of the goals and also you know wrestle, wrestle on the on the agenda, on what's important and what's what's the what's on the curriculum of philanthropic efforts in Israel. Um, so I think that throughout the last 12 years and first of all the fact that we have 140 families at JFN Israel that represents a variety of communities in Israel. And really brings, I think, the top or the top of the Israeli philanthropy to the table. Basically stop that term, where are the Israelis? So now if you want to know where the Israelis are, you can come to JFN, we'll let you know where they are. And second is that the Israelis are really sort of on the same level in terms of it's not a second-class citizen. In fact that our philanthropy is younger doesn't mean that, or maybe it's not in the accumulated wealth that is that exists maybe elsewhere it is still a very very active very entrepreneurial in its spirit it has real hands on the ground in the sort of real hands-on in the way that they that Israelis work with the NGOs it's way beyond just giving money and letting go a lot Mm -hmm. of hours a lot of thought a lot of board activity in the most useful way so the fact that the Groundmaking approach could meet an entrepreneurial approach. Those two kinds of philanthropies really sort of are shifting the way that we're doing business here in Israel. And also it allows the two sides to get a perspective for the Israelis to get a perspective of how do you fund your theory of change? And for the Americans to get a perspective of what's really motivates the philanthropic effort on the ground. So I think that kind of partnership is something that for the long run, we should really make an, a real effort to
0: grow. It, it's also fascinating to hear you describe the different characteristics of uh, the sort of traditional philanthropy and the models from uh, from North America and other parts of the uh, Jewish world. And, and perhaps not surprisingly, the more entrepreneurial uh, type of philanthropy, I'm assuming obviously that, you know, the, the, of those 140 families, many of them themselves will be uh, entrepreneurial in their own businesses, or have have sort of got background in uh, uh, entrepreneurial business, and therefore they're bringing that also to the philanthropic uh, table. Can you can you tell us a little bit about uh, specific areas of interest that that you know? If, if you if I were to ask you, what are the three top areas that Israeli philanthropists actually are interested in being involved with or giving to? Is is there something that that is uh, is there a pattern to that?
1: So actually, in that, we're very similar to other places in the world. I think it's the structure of philanthropy that is mostly common around um, how people give. Um, So the three top ones, it's not surprising, will be religion, welfare and health and education. And, And so... We're not different in that. So in
0: that sense, we're developing along the same lines as you'd expect to see in other areas of philanthropy.
1: I think philanthropy has its own Maslow letter, ladder, and it, it really is about like how you move in this ladder in terms of how you develop as a philanthropist. So the majority of people will give to the basic sort of you know human needs, uh, which is very understandable because philanthropy is, after all, an emotional decision as well as a rational decision. Uh, one, one of our
0: previous uh, one of our previous guests talked, who is also a JFn member, talked about giving from the Kishkas. Yeah. And uh, even though we're you know we try to be strategic and think about the impact and theory of change, it's important not to forget the uh, the kishkas. Uh,
1: giving without the kishkas is is, I think pointless. I mean, it doesn't last for a very long time. And also giving um just giving money away is also not something that is, uh, that I see as a really um, thoughtful or important thing to do, because this too sh- will not last uh, yep. very long. Uh, so the combination, we always say you've got to build it, you know, brick by brick and also evolve as a funder. I think that funders who learn, funders who collaborate with others, um, they, they themselves develop. And I think it's really, it's really important.
0: Terrific. So let, let's let's move on, and maybe we can now talk a little bit about your new uh, new venture, which of course is, is connected to what we've been talking about. Um, mm-hmm. It's called Keshet, uh, which is uh, like a rainbow, I guess, or an arch, uh-huh. and um, and it's it's a donor advised fund. And I think a lot of people that will be listening to this will say, "What's a donor advised fund?" So maybe we can start right there.
1: Okay. So just a little bit of background because it, it will tie in between our two conversations. When we work with Jeff and families in Israel, we've noticed that there's a gap between the wealth that exists in Israel and the timing that people decide to give to the actual giving on, um, and the actual amounts that are being given at the end of the day. And we said, okay, there's a little bit of um, a miscalculation here. Maybe maybe we need to understand why. It's not growing in the same pace that the wealth is growing. And we've noticed that one of the things that are missing, very much so in Israel, is the infrastructure for giving, which is a tool that allows both the legal aspect and the tax aspect and the allocation aspect of, of, a, of a donation to be one and to be mm-hmm. simple and to be not heavily regulated and that it is uh, it is allowing people to make their decision at the right time. So what does a donor advice fund allow you to do? In a year when you have high liquidity, which means that you either sold a company, you got an inheritance or exit or anything any type of high liquidity event, a donor makes a decision to allocate its philanthropic dollars at that same moment to Keshet. Keshet, Keshet Keran Shittu Fomim, Donor Advice Fund, is a vehicle that can receive the money, give the donor the full tax, uh, I, I will call it benefit for, um, it's not a deduction, it's a return. It's a full tax return according to the um, status 46 in Israel. Then it allows the funder to take their time, that pause between when you allocate the fund to philanthropy and when you start giving it to NGOs, you can take your time and you can make decisions. You can learn about the fields that you want to to be a part of. You can um, allow yourself as much time for learning and deciding and work with your family on the process. Then throughout the life of the fund that sits at Keshet, you can make decisions as to which NGOs you want to contribute that money to, and you ask Keshet to do it, and Keshet facilitates the, give, the giving. In the meantime, you can make a decision. If the, if the money sits at Keshet, you can make a decision that you want Keshet to manage the money at an investment firm. You will then receive tax-free proceeds from that um, investment back to your account and your fund will grow just like an endowment. So the fact that you can have a back office, a system that will allow you to put the money aside, to get the, the full tax receipt, you don't worry about paperwork, you don't worry about reporting to the to the tax authority or to Roshama Amuto. You don't have all these extra costs of lawyers and accountants and and just the processes that you have to go through if you open your own which is the alternative
0: mm-hmm.
1: um that allows families who are entering and also are now in the philanthropic space to really streamline their giving and really enjoy leave the keep the enjoyment of giving and put aside all of the all of the hustle that has to do with the office work behind it um yeah. One of the two things that I want to add. um, One is that it's a really good tool also for engagement of third and second generation. Uh, We believe that sometimes uh, children of uh, families that do giving on an annual basis do not feel that they are a part of the process because they always have to go to their parents and ask them for permission. So if you do that as a tool for engagement and independence, and they have an ability to control some of the decision making, not in the whole amount, but at some some sort of a level. Then I think it's a it's a great tool for engagement. We do processes with the entire family, with the children, and with the parents to allow them to really get engaged. Aside from the back office, so it's really important to stress that too.
0: That's great. Um, sort of a, to, to give people a, a concept of of. Um... I suppose that the, the type of size that would make sense to do this, I, I, it, as you say, the, the the option is I have a chunk of money that I want to put to work in charity or philanthropy, um, and I I want to be able to control the uh, use of those uh, proceeds. I can either set up my own amuta or foundation, or I can basically apply it via uh, via cash. And of course, these things do exist. Uh, m- much more um, in North America, to a certain yeah. degree uh, in the UK. Have you seen, or have you thought about uh, at what size uh, below which, if you will, it makes sense to use uh, a vehicle like Cashhead? And at what point does it, it sort of justify having your own foundation, where you, you know, assuming you're comfortable managing that, where a size of foundation makes sense to have all of that sort of back office function, the actual logistics of it. Um, in-house? Have you sort of considered where that, what the cutoff point for that might look like?
1: So first of all, you can open up a, uh, an account with Keshet of 50,000 shekels. but we feel that there are two major target audiences. One are the people that are new to philanthropy, maybe what we call sudden will, or mm-hmm. people that have done philanthropy, but they have they have encountered that liquidity event and they need to make a decision about a different kind of wealth all of a sudden. So that anywhere up to, I think you know 50 to 100 million shekels, I don't see in assets, I don't see a reason why you need to pay for all the extra. If you have billions and you have an infrastructure at anyways, of course, and you want to have all of these people employed by you, no problem, and it makes sense in terms of cost effectiveness of that of that expense. But below that, I think it's really it's really not um it's really more effective to work with a donor advice fund because you get the same services for less. I also think that it's really important to get the advice from a staff that is well uh, We we sit on the infrastructure that um, JF and Israel, the Institute for Law and Philanthropy, and committed to give all share the knowledge that is being sort of transferred to Keshek in terms of how we operate and the kind of advice that the donors get. Um, it's also a community that if you wish, you can be a part of. So the, the fact that you are not a humongous foundation, the fact that you, you can do, it's cost-effective for you to manage it through, through, through Keshek. And you can get a really sort of high level advice and support, professional support without paying for that expense in full, I think is a really, this is the one main target audience. The other sure. target audience are simply people who feel like the checks are flying at the door and they have no clue what they're doing with their money. So way for them to get organized to encapsulate it, to make sure that they they have it in under control and in a managed way, that also is advisable, even if the sums are
0: smaller. So to, two follow-up questions to that. Um, number one, are there any restrictions that Keshet would have in terms of the, the types of uh, causes or uh, organizations um, that the, the donor can ask you to, uh, to give to, number one. And, and number two, um, apart from the logistics of the giving and if you will, the managing the money and dealing with uh, uh, the, the Charities Commission here, et cetera, um, are you uh, also performing uh, 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 for the donor the diligence on the NGO itself? Is that part of the, is that part of the package? Okay,
1: so great. Uh, question number one. Because Keshet is a 46 um, approved, according to the law in Israel, it can only give two other um, NGOs that have 46. However, in our ruling from the tax authority, the understanding was that some donors want to establish new entities and new NGOs. So, and we know that's chicken and egg. Sometimes you want to, to do that, but by the time you can't get 46 if you don't have any money in any operation. So 15% out, out of each account can be dedicated to NGOs in the beginning of three years, uh, three first years in the, in the lives of the NGO in order to be able to set it up. So you can donate to an NGO without a 46 if it's in the first three years of operation. We don't have any ideological or overruling in terms of content. There are some guidance as to like political entities and so on, which is forbidden by law, But and it's written in our agreement, but it's not anything beyond that. So if we, however, like you asked, when we do a due diligence process and we do them for the donor, according to the level of the grant, we have three levels, different processes, different depths for each process, but we do make sure that we protect both the funder themselves and Keshe because we have to really be sort of organized and on, on control um, the details of the NGOs that are receiving money from us. So it's good for the donor. It's also good for us. If we find a problem, we let the donor know that there is a problem, a legal, legal, for example, it's, it's an issue. But definitely, we will have conversations about what needs to be done in order to allow the payment to go forward. I think it's good for the funders as well as much as it's good for us.
0: Yeah, obviously, uh, Keshe needs to protect its own uh, charitable status uh, yeah. from a from a leg- regulatory position, and therefore, in in that way, it flows through obviously to protect the uh, to protect the donor the donor as well. Um, Maybe uh, so that people can understand. Okay, I, I've I've handed money over to uh, Keshet. Um Obviously, it's an independent; it's a separate organization. What's what sort of? How is my money protected? What is you know? How, how do you avoid commingling? What are the? I mean, these are basically managed accounts. Uh, if I take it from the investment world, which are then donating according to separate sets of instructions. Um, how exactly do you manage the money to make sure that I have the comfort that, you know, Ruven's money is not going with Shimon's money or it's crossing over in some way? How, how does the structure of that work?
1: So um, we do have separate accounts um, numbered and named, um, so we can follow them. Um, and, and we get reports from the investment firm, um, also separately according to each account. Um, we have a very serious board of trustees that oversees everything that we do um, on an annual basis as well as on a weekly basis. Um, we also have an investment and outside investment committee that over overse- does oversight over the investment firms and recommends, uh, uh, gives recommendations to the board. It is uh, an outside investment firm in order to make sure that they are not subjected to any prior um, understanding or decisions. Um, we are now in the process of also establishing um, what's called in the investment world, um, a working relationship with an administrator. It's a company that looks over all of your different transactions and does what it's called, she checks up on you to make mm-hmm. sure that you had no mistakes. So having another firm, which usually works in the investment world, now developing a unique service for us is also to guarantee that everything is a core, is really strict and organized um, and well managed. So- And, and that drives- event,
0: what, what, what have, the, What's yeah. the reporting cycle for that? If, if I'm a donor in the so fund, how often will you be the, reporting to me? The client
1: will get a report with their all of their assets and all of their donations each quarter. Okay. And at the end of the year, it will be a summary of the year. We also tell you know if you um, we will tr- we will begin working. Um, Absolutely, actually, actually, we all we already started working on a technological platform that is unique for a donor advice fund. Not not just a grant making platform. It's not just not just click and give money to NGOs. This is not what we want to be, but really sort of like a very user friendly platform that allows the donor to get uh, information about the NGOs, to converse with other donors about their experience, to get information from other donors who maybe are members of JFN but are not using the donor advice fund if they want to share what they're doing. So almost like an internal system for Israeli philanthropy to communicate and also get advice from one another, as well as, side of the platform that will be the the actual assets under management so they will see at any given moment where
0: they're at I look forward to that that sounds pretty uh pretty neat um maybe sort of zooming back out again as we sort of draw uh, draw a little bit to the end um what do you think is the potential uh, for Keshet? and and uh, in addition to providing this service to uh, if you will, the, the specific uh, um, f- donors or philanthropists who want to use this, do you see it as a tool for extending um, the amount of philanthropy, which is actually going to happen? Will it bring additional people into the uh, into the circle of philanthropy in Israel? Is that is that something which is part of the idea?
1: Absolutely. When we started Keshe, after working with Jeff and for so long, uh, we wanted to do. We wanted to to add the missing link, so to speak. We wanted to allow philanthropy to grow, not just in the numbers of people that choose to do philanthropy, but also in the the net amount of shekels that we're going to see being available for uh, the civic sector in Israel. So definitely our number one goal is for the pie to be bigger. If we haven't done that, really it's not worth our time. (laughs) <laughs> um, why do we believe that it's possible because we think that the timing of the decision that israeli's make on whether or not they should give is not the right timing as it is right now so if we move it to actually when they be there, when they accumulate their wealth that will make them give more and uh, on the right time and will hopefully will grow them to be you know, the kind of thoughtful philanthropists that they will also choose to be, you know, a part of the community that JFN has in Israel. But definitely numbers are key here. Like we are monitoring it. We have goals. We have a five-year plan. Definitely in the hundreds of millions of new shekels, I'm not talking about, you know, recycling the same money that we already see. Definitely. Definitely that's our goal. That's our target audience. But we also want to allow the existing community to enjoy a
0: smoother operation. Well, I think that's a great place for us to uh, to pause for today. Uh, I want to say as a, as a member of uh, JFN, it's always a pleasure uh, to be part of the circle and to to be assisted by it and occasionally to help out if I can. Um, I, I think it'll be just an amazing achievement if Keshet really does bring in the extra bucks or shekels, if you were to, uh, Israeli philanthropy. Uh, you know, we're both big believers in the power of uh, uh, activist philanthropy and, and and getting involved. I think as much as it bringing the money into the system, it's bringing the people uh, to be active uh, in in so many different uh, important causes in the country. So Absolutely. we wish you a tremendous amount of uh, success. Do look up both JFN if you're not a member, and I assume Keshet now has its own uh, uh, website. Okay, so go look up uh, Keshet and um, we will uh, we'll see you next time. No, doubt we'll have something else to talk about in philanthropy. But uh, till now, thank you very much, Maya. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you, Daniel. All right. That's been another uh, uh, podcast for uh, the Gold Rock podcast. Definitely uncertain. And we look forward to seeing you again soon.